0: Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this January 2016 episode is setting yourself up for genealogy success in 2016. We will start off with the genealogy insider blogger and editor of Family Tree Magazine, Diane Haddad, who will have all the latest genealogy news for us. And you know, making sure that you are researching the correct person as your ancestor is certainly a key to success. So in an extended top tip segment, professional genealogist Shelly Bishop will join me, and she's going to cover seven time-tested strategies to confirm that you have indeed added the right person to your family tree. In our Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Shannon Combs Bennett is back to share some pointers for easier and more effective source documentation straight from her class called Source Citations for Regular People. And then we're going to wrap everything up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. She's going to share a tool with us that helps her stay organized all year long. There is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. All right, well, let's kick off this episode, which is all about setting yourself up for genealogy success. And a great place to start is at the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. You too. Uh, you know, one of the the new things that's happening in this new year is, of course, a new season of Finding Your Roots on PBS. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that you are blogging about that. And I thought this would be kind of a a good place to jump off for talking about setting ourselves up for success. And I know they have a lot of success on finding the backgrounds and family trees of the people that they feature on that show. So tell us about the blog post that you did about that recently. Sure. Um, Well, this was the delayed season three.
1: um, After the whole Ben Affleck issue last year, they had put into place some more checks and balances and have more um, oversight from genealogical researchers. And once PBS approved that, um, the new, um, procedures that were put into place, they gave them the go ahead for the third season. So, so that's what started January 5th was the season premiere and they, the show's researchers looked into the family histories of Uh, Donna Brazile, she's a political analyst, and Ty Burrell is um, Phil Dunphy on Modern Family for anyone who watches that show, and then Mm. an artist, Kara Walker.
0: Right. And did they end up doing Ben Affleck's, are they going to do his segment this season as well still? They're not. Any kind of place
1: where his episode had been aired has been removed, So you can't find it anywhere. It's not online anymore. Um, They don't have any previews from it. So I don't know if they're going to plan to do some kind of update in the future. Um, My feeling is they'd probably want to put it all behind. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: bet. And that was, I think, all about him being a little concerned about showing that there were slaveholders in his family. And and that was one of the focuses of this new season is Mm -hmm. talking about slavery and the family trees. Um, But also there's just this whole focus of the strategies that they take in pursuing the family lines and what were some of the takeaways that you had on how what you see in the show might help you kind of kick off your own research for the new year? Well, first of all, I
1: think it's great for any genealogist, whether you have slavery in your family tree or not, to see examples of successful research and to get a sense of what kind of records are out there and who has them. The show doesn't give a whole lot of information about where the record came from. But that's when you can go to Google or, you know, a genealogy class or wherever, Family Tree Magazine and the podcast and, and type in census records or um, look up, how can I find this record for my own family?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's inspiring, too, because a lot of us have brick walls. And I think sitting down and watching a show like this, or Genealogy Roadshow, or Who Do You Think You Are, you know, gosh, it really gives you a shot in the arm, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? It sure does. It is. um, I often will sit there searching the
1: internet and websites while I watch the show, because it just makes me, you know, want to find ancestors. One successful strategy used in this episode, um, specifically to find the enslaved ancestors and their slave owners because oftentimes you have to do that in order to research the um, enslaved person was to find a census record or, or any record that would show where the um, enslaved person lived or was born and then they would look in that same county in census records for families of the same surname and that is because oh. not always but often a uh, former slave would take the surname of their um, most recent owner and they would also oftentimes settle nearby because it's a familiar place. Um, you know, that's where they've been living for a while. So um, so that's one strategy that people can use to research their families back into slavery. And then you would look for records of the slave owning family um, often. Probate records, estate inventories would refer to um, the property because you know the enslaved person was considered property that was being um, transferred or dispersed, you know, when the slave owner died.
0: Right. And, and, you know, that whole area of research is unique in many ways. And so it's kind of, it's great that they really focus in on that. But then they also talk about things like the Homestead Act Mm -hmm. of 1862. And, um, you know, all of our backgrounds are intertwined and the records certainly are intertwined. And and this is a great way to kind of get a shot in the arm to, to move forward and see how it fits into your own family. Diane's article is called Finding Your Roots. It's the season premiere, focuses on enslaved ancestors. And I know, Diane, you're going to be covering this throughout the season, are you not?
1: We are, yes. And I'm very excited to see the future guests who are on the show and what we can find out about um, how their families kind of fit into the larger history.
0: Exactly. Well, check it out at Genealogy Insider blog. It's blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Thank you, Diane. You're welcome. We'll you Sounds good. It's easy to mix up your relative with someone else's in old records, but you can avoid an ancestor identity crisis when you follow the seven strategies from my next guest. It's Shelley Bishop. Hi, Shelley. Hi, Lisa. Shelley, you wrote a terrific article. It's in the January-February 2016 issue of Family Tree Magazine. It's called "Mistaken Identities," and I thought, wow, this is great because so many of us run into this, you get knee deep into an ancestor and you go, "Uh Oh, I had the wrong one.
2: What prompted you to write this article? Have you run into this yourself? I have, I have. And I think most everybody has. It's it's very common. I actually got the idea for the article at the baggage claim belt. And oh. I was watching all these suitcases of the same three or four colors go by. I thought. That's a lot like trying to pick your ancestor's name out of a database or just by looking at a single record. How do you know it's the right one? I mean, names look alike. They might sound alike even if they spelled a little differently. Maybe the people are from the same place. They might even be around the same age. And the record or the index that you're looking at may not offer anything more to really distinguish between them. So how do you, you know, know that you've got the right person? It's not like our ancestors came with claim tickets that we can just go and pick the right one. But you don't want to pick up the wrong one because that will create a mess and you'll spend a lot of time correcting it later. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. That's what it's it's so like. and.
0: When everything looks the same, how do we identify those uniquenesses? Well, let's go through your seven steps because you do have some concrete strategies that people can follow. To, to help differentiate and um, pull out the right John Doe, if you will, from all the ancestors that we're looking at. Uh, the first one that you have here
2: in the article is called Resist the Urge to Merge. What do you mean by that? Here I'm talking specifically about online family trees. Yeah. I mean, merging can get dicey whether it's cars on the freeway or someone who looks like a match for your ancestor in a a family tree. And as tempting as it may be, most pros recommend not copying and pasting things from somebody else's tree into yours. Instead, use the trees as clues and investigate the record yourself. And then if it all pans out and you're certain, save the record to your tree.
0: Oh, that's great advice because there are more and more trees out there and I think that's a real trap, don't you think for beginners? Because it's exciting to see all those ancestors on all those trees.
2: It is. It's very exciting. Um but it and it's it's very easy to do. An example, my third great-grandfather died uh, before the state began issuing death certificates. And there were nine family trees on Ancestry.com that gave his date of death as October 15, 1879. I found that had been recorded, had been published, actually, in a family history book. When I actually got his death record from the county, it showed he died a year earlier October 5th, 1878. Oh. I later found an obituary in the newspaper for 1878, so I knew that that was the right date. But if I had just copied the date from the other trees, I would never have found that obituary, and I'd still have the date wrong.
0: Yeah. You're really describing not to be afraid to engage your brain in your critical thinking (laughs) versus, I mean, we want the evidence to lead us. But not by the nose. Right. <laughs> uh, we want our brain to be looking at what's common sense and engaging with it and and applying that thinking.
2: Absolutely. You have to you have to think it think it through, think it over.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Now, number two, you've got venture beyond the index, and it sounds like again, you want us to kind of engage the brain. Tell us about this.
2: Well, an index or an online database listing usually doesn't have all the information from the record itself. And um, a lot of people just starting out don't realize this. But all you're seeing in an index or a database is the indexer's interpretation of maybe a few words out of the record. So it's important to go find the records that the database or the index was created from.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's It's a wonderful lead, but it's not the whole
2: enchilada, right? Right, that's right. For example... I was looking at a book that was indexing all the records um, recorded, all the death records recorded in a county during a 40-year period. Two men were named John Evans. That's the name I was looking for. I requested copies of both records from the county clerk's office. Both the men were elderly, so that didn't really help me. But what did help is that their occupations were stated in the records. One was a blacksmith and the other a farmer. My John Evans had been listed as a blacksmith in three censuses. So it was clear, once I got the actual record, which one was right. But there was no way to tell that from the index alone.
0: Exactly. The index isn't focused on the occupation, but the occupation is the differentiating factor between the two. Right. It's a great example.
2: Yeah, just a small detail like that can really set your ancestor apart.
0: Right. Now, for step number three, you talk about creating a chart or a timeline, and I think this is such a powerful tool. Um, And it may be, again, new to to some people. Tell us what a a timeline is.
2: Well, I, I love charts. Charts are an easy way to see and compare information. And a timeline is basically a chart of events in chronological order, maybe with some historical context added, And they're easy to make, and they really help you get to know your ancestor better. So that helps you see if you've made mistakes, um, if maybe you have records of two people with the same name mixed up. Um, And it helps you keep track of those little details that can help tell your ancestor apart. You know, I I teach a class about using
0: um, cold case investigative strategies Mm -hmm. and one of the examples I give is the timeline because I know a lot of people think, "Oh yeah, I'm going to do that," but then they don't ever get around to doing it. And I made it uh, kind of share a very compelling example of the of the power of the timeline because one of the oldest criminal cases in history that's ever been solved, which was like after 50 years, wasn't solved through DNA; it was solved through a timeline. And that's the power of the timeline is the way it can lay out your data and it can show, you know, the source of where it comes from, where the gaps are, and and that not all data is equivalent, that some is primary, some is secondary, and we have to keep all that in mind. Uh, it's a, a t- terrific tool. And then you talk about mapping it out, which goes right along with something I love to do. I love using Google Earth. And number four is map it out. Are, are we talking about taking everything that we've collected so far and and putting it out geographically? That's a great idea.
2: It, it really mm-hmm. is. Maps are a way to visually put your ancestor's life into context. And they helps you establish his identity. It also, old maps in particular, can help you see boundary changes in state and county lines. And that's going to affect where you find records. Uh, I was working in a locality in another state. I wasn't familiar with the locality. And I got frustrated because I couldn't find the family in the court records. And I needed those court records. It wasn't until I looked at a historic map that I realized the county was formed from bits of three other counties. And it turned out that the records I needed were at one of the parent counties. The map was the key to finding that piece of the puzzle. Oh, yeah, exactly. They they, they
0: change again. And that's not always obvious to somebody who might be new to genealogy. And it's Mm -hmm. something we could forget, too. I think for those of us who have been around for a while. Now, number five, you say follow the network. Which network are we talking about here?
2: Well, you know, today we have cell phone networks. I have my friends and family on my cell phone. We carry our contacts around with us in our phones and so forth. But our ancestors had networks, too. And uh, Elizabeth Show Mills, CG, uh, one of the nation's most highly respected genealogists, coined the phrase fan club to remind us how important our ancestors' friends, associates, and neighbors were to them and how they can help us in our research. The first step is to identify these friends in records where they appear with our ancestors. And then the next step is to use them to help narrow your search or follow your family to a different location or distinguish between two different individuals. One example, my family tree includes a large cluster of Clarks. But Clark is a common name. And when I went looking, I found George Clarks everywhere. I couldn't tell which one was the one I needed. And then I realized that a couple of their children married into the Longshore family. And Longshore is an easier name to work with because it's less common. And in the end, I was able to determine that the Longshores and the Clarks probably came to Ohio from the same region of Pennsylvania. And that's very common. Groups of friends and church members often migrated together. So if you can ID part of the network, your chances of finding others are better. Oh, I love that when when that
0: surname is more common to look within the cluster around them and finding somebody with something more unique. It's a terrific strategy. And we have two more. Number six is beware of making assumptions. That sounds smart.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, assumptions can get you into hot water without you even realizing it because they box you into thinking a certain way. In the article, I talk about the difference between an assumption and a theory, an assumption restricts your thinking with preconceived notion, whereas a theory focuses your thinking in a probable direction, but leaves you open to other possibilities. And that's an important line for genealogists to draw.
0: Well, that's, that's a great way to kind of clarify between the two, because it can, it can kind of look like it crosses over. and. When you get into your final step, which is number seven, you're talking about playing devil's advocate. And so are we challenging our own ideas here? You are.
2: If you have a tough case of ancestor identity, like deciding whether all the records you found belong to one Thomas Clark or whether there were two men in town with that same name, you really need to research both options and try to prove one wrong. Writing your theory out can really help with this stage, uh, to list all the supporting points and also note any contradictions. That forces you to focus on the problem and on the evidence that you've collected. If you can, it also helps to have somebody else read your summary. See if they can find some holes in it. And think are there additional records that you haven't looked at, maybe some that are harder to get because they haven't been microfilmed or digitized? You might need to do some on-site research at a courthouse or archives, or if it's far away, you might consider hiring a professional to get at those records, because they could hold the clues um, that you're missing that could really solidify your ancestor's identity. Wow, terrific
0: ideas. And, you know, all of them, I think, together really come together to make sure that you can, with with pretty good confidence, say that you have identified the right person and and not mistaken their identity. You know, Shelley's uh, article is, you got a lot out of this last 10 minutes, but boy, where do you see the article. It's called Mistaken Identities, and um, she goes through all seven of these, but in even more detail with more uh, websites to check out and different suggestions. For ways to kind of implement this in your own research and there's a wonderful um, section called going to the source where she really analyzes the sources that you're going to be coming in contact with as you do your research so check it out it's in the january february 2016 issue of family train magazine and shelly how wonderful to have you as a first timer here on the show and we hope to have you back again this has been terrific thank you very much lisa One area that is absolutely critical to the success of every genealogist is source citation. I've invited Shannon Combs Bennett back to the show. She's going to share some pointers for easier, effective documentation from her Family Tree University class. It's called Source Citations for Regular People. Hi, Shannon.
3: Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you're back. Uh, this is a really important topic. And, you know, our whole theme for this episode is setting ourselves up for genealogical success in 2016. And I know that this is a, an important area. Okay, so, Shannon, let's imagine this. You've just gotten on an elevator. You're standing next to someone who has just begun researching their family tree. They're all excited about it. Give us your elevator speech on, first, what are sources And second, why that person should bother investing the extra time that it takes to cite those sources.
3: Okay, so real quick elevator speech, which if we're source citations, is going to be a little difficult, but I'll do my best. Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, sources are the documents books, websites, videos, the material, the holder that contains the information for our family history. Um, Sometimes I like to think of them as Russian stacking dolls. So the source is the biggest one. And when you take off the top of the biggest one, inside of it is the information. And inside of that is evidence and so on and so forth down. And the reason it's important to learn how to create source citations or at least document where you've looked is so that you save precious time in the future. Um, I know when I first started, I was so excited about doing research. uh, I repeatedly would go, oh my God, where did I find this information? Because I had not correctly cited where I'd found that source for that birth date or that death date or that marriage. And it's really important to start from the beginning so that you don't cause your head yourself those headaches later, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, unless like you said,
0: we have our own challenges in that we're going to be doing this for a while. I know I've been doing this for how many decades? And I go back and I look and I'm so grateful that I actually took on source citations so early at my young age when I started because... I'll look at a piece of data and I'll think, uh, "No, I'm not so sure that's right." Now, where did I get that? And that's what that source citation is going to tell us: is what book it came from, what page number it was on. Exactly. But it's also, we're out there now sharing so much easier our information with other people, mm-hmm. right? Just through online and social media. And every once in a while, we get challenged, don't we? So I imagine source citations are key to being able to kind of make your argument to other people as well.
3: Yeah, it gives validity to not only your research, but it makes those who come after you, maybe not even currently, but let's say your children or your grandchildren, it gives them more confidence in your research as well. And, you know, I have a blog and periodically I will get an email from someone when I post something about a new family find that they disagree with. A distant cousin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, having those source citations and having my analysis written down with, this is where I got this information and having it all in place and typed out, very easy to copy and paste into an email back saying, well, if you want to check my sources, here they are. It makes it very easy and it makes you look like you've got your your act together in some instances.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, and it also saves us from duplicating effort, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, how, how many times have we all pulled the same book off the shelf or bought another book for goodness sake and then found out that we oh, already, already have, we have it? it. Yep. <laughs> yes, we've all done it. And you touched on something very key, which is, you know, we're hopefully doing this for generations to come. And so we, that's, and I hope you'll talk more about that too, which is, the having uniform source citations so that it's not just our cryptic little notes that make sense to us, but that three generations down the road, that there's some sense to how we wrote these out so that other people can understand them. Will you talk a little bit about just the uniformity, the, kind of the format? Yeah, of sure. Citation?
3: Not a problem. Um, I do hear um, a lot of researchers encourage new beginning genealogists don't worry about what you how you cite a source as long as you you have your own system and that kind of gives me the i i kind (laughs) of look sideways at them because it's going to cost them later when they realize they need to they don't have enough information or they've missed a piece of information that would be crucial to finding that record again um it's important, I feel, to follow the standard, what, what genealogy societies and the genealogy community at large feel are the standards of a good source citation. That way, they are all alike. Everyone knows what everyone else's source citation says. There's no guesswork. We know that there's going to be, you know, for a census record, you're going to have the population schedule, of the year, the enumeration district, the page number, the house, the dwelling, the family. We're going to have all of those parts put together in a specific order so that we can locate that census record again. It's more it's not necessarily more complicated, but there's a little more depth and nuance to genealogical source citations than let's say a regular source citation that you would do in a college class because we also add things like provenance to it so we'll have a a standard newspaper source citation you know with the title of the newspaper, the author if it was given, the year, uh, the column page, and and all that type of information. And then we might have a secondary piece of this of this source, which tells how we received that. Was it a clipping from grandmother? Who gave it to you? So there's still a little bit of play, but having the who, what, where, when, where it's located, and wherein it's located are key elements to a good genealogical source citation.
0: Yes, couldn't agree more. And, and really, I think... Because there are some standards out there and some formats that we can follow, this can become rather second nature. We've got resources we can turn to. And and what you're describing is, yes, that's why a class is needed, because you're laying a foundation that is going to become more second nature and and serve you all the way through the time that you work in genealogy. So let's talk a little bit about this class, okay. Source Citations for Regular People. Um, I'd love to have you, before you kind of give us a, a bullet point list of what we're going to be learning in this class, what's one of the pointers that you share in the class that that it helps people right off the bat kind of make source citation just a little bit easier maybe not so intimidating
3: <laughs> um, is there such a thing well yeah <laughs> even i sometimes look at a uh, a document and go oh boy <laughs> yeah yeah but what i think is important is i explain exactly you know not only what the purpose of a source citation is but i try to outline very quickly and very succinctly why it's important, and how you can do it. So my big thing is there are a lot of resources, and my big tip is there are a lot of resources online and books. You don't need to feel like you have to memorize everything. Um, I show you how to create templates for, let's say, for census records because that's one of the most common records that a genealogist will use. And if you have a good template set up with the information that you need to just, you know, copy and paste into where it says, you know, name goes here, date goes here. Um, having those templates on hand can make creating future source citations really a lot less complicated and quick. <laughs> oh, I love it. I mean, templates really—it
0: it really is that idea of not reinventing the wheel and the more efficient and the quicker you can do it, then the more time you get to spend doing actual research. Right. Wonderful. So that's really concrete. Um, and, and that's something that you rely on yourself. Even after all these years of, of being a seasoned genealogist, you're still turning to your templates. So we, you really don't memorize everything. You can use these and, and um, pull them out as you need them for the various kinds of documents and, and sources that you're using.
3: Right. And like I said, I do that so that I don't have to spend the time looking through my books. Um, especially, you know, I'll, I have a section of templates, just uh, master templates on my uh, computer where I know I'm looking at censuses. So I go to those documents, newspaper clippings, journals, magazines, especially for books that I may use on a regular basis. Um, I have lots and lots of Virginia ancestors. So I created templates for all of the standard Virginia books that I would use or microfilm roles that I would use for research. That way, as I find new information, I just need to go to that template for that type of microfilm or that book like Cavaliers and Pioneers. And I know, you know, Cavaliers and Pioneers volume three, I would pull that template out insert the information, and I would have my source citation ready to go in less than three or four minutes.
0: Pretty easy. Oh, I love it. Love it. Okay, so in addition to getting templates, creating their own templates so they're customized to their own research, what else are you going to teach in source citations for regular people?
3: Well, I talk about how um, genealogy source citations are based on the Chicago humanities style and what exactly that is. It's into its 16th edition right now, but it's a way of it's it's a different source citation than like what I learned in high school or even in college. I have a science background. So learning a new source citation uh, format was a bit challenging in the beginning, but it's important Mm -hmm. to know. I also talk about how if you're going to start writing reports or if you want to write a family history, how you go about writing footnotes for that, because those are different than bibliographies. And I touch about bibliographies and reference notes and what the differences are. Um, I also talk a lot about how to put the required elements together and I even have a flow chart in the class of how the patterns for where does you know the who section and the what and the when sections all go together because you want to answer those fundamental questions in each source citation you create and I'm a visual person so I felt (laughs) flow charts would be perfect (laughs) love it I love it oh it sounds fantastic well This
0: class is really going to, like I say, lay that foundation and really help people not have source citation take over their life, but actually just support the research they're doing. I love it. If you want to learn more about it, Shannon Combs Bennett is the instructor for source citation for regular people. It's through Family Tree University. So we'll have a link in the show notes. And Shannon, thank you for taking the time because I know we're all at different levels in our research. And I love the fact that you've kind of laid out what they are, why they're important, and told us. That you're just like the rest of us, and you have these tools that you're using to help you be able to move more quickly through your research. I love it. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: Let's wrap up this episode that's devoted to setting yourself up for genealogy success in 2016. And we're going to meet over with Allison at the publisher's desk to talk about how she's tackling the new year. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Happy new year to you. Happy new year, too. This has been actually a really good kind of way to kickstart the new year, talking about all these different ways in which we can kind of set ourselves up for success. Because it's amazing. The years just get away from us. I know that you, gosh, as a publisher of a magazine and uh, books and everything else that you do, you have a lot that you're juggling. How do you stay organized? How do you set yourself up for success? And maybe how are you going to implement that into your own genealogy goals this year?
4: Lisa, I have a three-word answer for you. It's spreadsheets, spreadsheets, spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> I live and die by organizing projects and managing projects um, with spreadsheets. And that's a useful tool, whether it's Excel spreadsheets. And actually, um, I use a lot of Google Sheets um, because those allow me to work with other people collaboratively um, on various projects, whether it's planning out calendars, which is a big thing in genealogy as well as business, um, or really kind of following a project all the way through. So, you know, one thing that we do at the magazine is we have a spreadsheet that involves um, all of our magazine articles and when they're due and when they came in and how many pages they're going to take up how we think and how many they're actually <laughs> picking up once we've right. finally gotten them through the production process. So, you know, they're really flexible in terms of logging data and ideas and project information. And so that's why I use that single tool more than anything else as I'm planning out my year.
0: Ah fantastic well you know you and i have been working on a project um we've got roots tech 2016 coming up gosh in less than a month wow and i you know i can't believe it and we've been teaming up because we're going to be doing this huge awesome conference booth demo area and having sessions and having activities and there have been a lot of players and a lot of pieces and we have a lot of new things we've been juggling and uh, you know you, Google Drive, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So they have their own sheets and you can use a free service like Google Drive because that's allowed us to collaborate <laughs> in real time and be able to kind of see the history of what you've done. And And I could, I could really see that applying to genealogy because sometimes it, it's that trail. Where have I been? We don't always get to the luxury of sitting down for a whole weekend and working on a project. So being able to, to look back at the history of the changes, particularly when you are collaborating and see what's happened so you're not wasting time duplicating effort.
4: Absolutely. And let's not forget the access anywhere aspect. Yes. Because yes. I'm thinking about this time I'll be have in Salt Lake City and how I will hopefully be able to squeeze in some limited time at the family history library. And so my plan is actually to do some advanced legwork, um, identify the things I want to look at in the family search catalog and have those logged on a Google sheet so that Mm -hmm. whether I'm logging in from one of the library's computers or my own phone or tablet, I will have instant access to that without having to fumble around for flash drives or anything like that. And correct
0: me if I'm wrong, but you can save, let's say you started in an Excel spreadsheet and you think, oh, I'd like to get this into Google Drive, I'm going to be taking my iPad with me or my tablet and I want to just use the Google Drive app and access all this pre-planning I did, we can save Excel spreadsheets into Google Drive as well as the Google Native Sheets uh, document, right?
4: That's totally correct. And the other great thing is that you can actually export those Google Sheets um, into an Excel or whatever spreadsheet program you have on your desktop so that it works really seamlessly transferring back and forth.
0: Wow. So, you know, it's funny. I think sometimes we think of spreadsheets as being kind of old school, but it's really not. When you're talking project management, and that's what a genealogist does. Uh, They still fill the bill, don't they? They sure do. And this would actually
4: be an excellent segue for me to mention that our winter virtual conference that will be happening in March will include a session on spreadsheet secrets to organize your genealogy. So if you're into getting on the spreadsheet bandwagon like me, uh, this would be an excellent session for you to look forward to.
0: Absolutely. Oh, perfect. Great way to kick off. I, I knew you'd have an idea. And you are one of the most organized people I know. So I'm I'm all for it. Spreadsheets, Google Drive, Sheets, being able to collaborate and being able to take it with you on the go. That's, that's the secret. Awesome. Okay, well, we're off to another new year. I will talk to you next month. Sounds great, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this January 2016 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. We've gotten off to a great start in 2016. And be sure to tune in each month as we continue to bring you the authors, instructors and websites that can help you achieve genealogical success. You'll find links to everything we talked about today at the show notes webpage for this episode. It's at familytreemagazine.com podcast. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.